But most of us, if not all of us, have these negative stories that we're telling ourselves, but some are more at the surface, right? Yeah, you hear people all the time saying, oh, I could never do that, or I have the worst luck, right? This always happens to me. And guess what happens? Welcome to The Fi Show, where you'll get a behind-the-scenes look into financial independence. Here's your host, Cody and Justin. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of The Financial Independence Show, where today we have on Adam Cuello, host of the Mindful Fire podcast. We talk all about mindset. We talk about the neuroscience behind Fi and big goals. But before we get into that, let me check in my co-host, Justin. What is going on, man? Hey, Cody. Been having fun trying to kind of play around with this whole Rip Dip enterprise. Went to a consumer product goods meetup last week, and uh, that was really cool. Got a lot of awesome feedback, and you know, I went into it with everybody else having this like really professional setup, and I had just like the crummiest little sign I'd made it like midnight the night before. But <laughs> I felt like my booth had like all the buzz. Like everybody was like really excited about it. No one really cared about the barbecue sauce guy or the healthy noodle guy. Everybody was curious about Rip Dip. Made some nicer labels. Got the QR code on there trying to just make it more and more professional as I go, trying to get some streamlined some like order process and all that good stuff so I can track like inventory. Yeah, it's a kind of a fun little project to see where it goes. And then Sunday, I came out to, to Vegas to start my three-city tour. So this week in Vegas, I'll be here all week for work. So lots of good food, but not a lot of sleep. And then I'll be coming up this weekend to the Northeast to see you for the wedding celebration. And then I go directly from there to, to New York for a little more work. But I'm excited. I haven't been up into New York in quite a while. I was in Boston not that long ago, but I haven't been in New York in a while. How about you, Cody? Exciting stuff, man. Well, on the rip dip front, obviously, I'm super excited about that as an entrepreneur and someone who just loves business. We're definitely going to have to do a full deep dive episode once you figure out like some of the logistics. And you're still learning a ton. I'm, I don't think we ever stop learning as entrepreneurs, but dude, it's so fun. So I definitely want to dive in for like a full episode, but it's just getting all the wedding stuff wrapped up for me. So making sure that all the signage is there, making sure that we have all the logistics, all the backend stuff. It's just dotting the I's and crossing the T's on all of the little nuances that could go wrong. I'm sure stuff, some things are going to go wrong. It's inevitable, but we are just trying to make sure it runs as smoothly as possible for the Saturday with everyone coming. But enough about us and what we got going on, Justin. Let's talk about our guest for today, Adam Cuello. So this was a really fun one because Adam is really into the neuroscience, like the actual what's going on in your brain when you're doing things like chasing financial independence, when you're setting big goals, when you're taking actions that you've never taken before, when you're talking yourself out of doing something or talking yourself into doing something. And coming from that angle, coming from the neuroscientific angle, hopefully I'm using all these words right, a little far outside of my comfort zone. Usually I just like talking about money and making more and spending less and investing the difference. But I thought this was a really, really cool episode kind of digging into the why, like, why are we doing this? Why are there some things we feel comfortable doing? Why are there some things we feel uncomfortable doing? There were just so many little mindset nuggets in this episode. And I really, really enjoyed listening to it back. Yeah, you're right, Cody. I mean, a lot of times when we have guests on, we're obviously trying to cover some kind of tactical thing that the listener can take away with. And, you know, these functional things like these things that are, you know, deal with returns and deal with laws and deal with tax implications and all that sort of thing. But at the end of the day, I think everyone agrees that the mentality and the mindset that is more important than any of it. You can learn all the technical stuff that you really need to know in a pretty short amount of time. But getting the right mindset is always super hard. And so love learning more and more about mindfulness and also about, 
you know, he talks about that kind of the stories we tell ourselves and how those become reality. And it's always really interesting to me kind of how that works, because there is more science to it than just this pure idea of like manifestation, because when you start telling yourself a certain thing or telling other people a certain thing, now all of a sudden you start to exude that confidence or you start to just get the news out into the world. And then that opens up doors because people know that you need help with those doors. So there is a real thing there. So if you enjoyed this episode and you want to find out more about Adam or follow along with his podcast where he talks a lot more about these topics, you can do that and share the episode at thefyshow.com slash mindful. That's thefyshow.com slash M-I-N-D-F-U-L. Take it away, Adam. The discovery of financial independence for me was like a big light bulb moment and kind of changed my whole perspective, right? I was, I'd say four or five years into my career at Google, where I've worked my whole career really after I had a startup before Google. But I was five years into my career making money, saving money, luckily not spending at all, investing my 401k. But that was kind of the extent of what I knew. And I kind of had this idea that like, oh yeah, maybe I'll retire someday. Maybe I need $10 million. I don't know. Maybe it's infinity. Who knows? But when I learned the 25 X your expenses or the 4% rule, it was kind of like, oh my God, this is actually possible, right? So I always use the example of if I need $100,000 to live, I need 2.5 million. Sure, that's a lot of money, but it's not 10 million. And it's certainly not like never going to happen. So for me, it was like, oh, wow, this is actually possible. And once I started running the numbers, I was like, actually, I'm on the path, right? I'm like pretty into this path. It's not like I'm starting from negative or zero. So fortunately, I wasn't spending all my money, but like many people do, I dove in and I'm like, this is incredible. I need to do this as fast as I possibly can. And it became my kind of sole focus, right? Kind of what I call the if only mindset. If only I can retire early, if only I can reach financial independence, then everything will be great and I'll be happy. But honestly, what I've come to learn is that's kind of a recipe for misery in a way, because it's always just out of reach. And so what I now try to practice and try to teach through my podcast is there's a way that you can start to live that life now and take advantage of the benefits of financial independence, whatever level you have, as soon as you start to get clear on your money situation. So we can certainly talk about that more. But yeah, that's kind of, for me, the big aha moment. I think especially in situations where you realize it is actually attainable, you are on the path, this can be even more true. But I know in my experience, like when I first discovered financial independence and the math and started realizing like, oh, I, I could actually do this, it almost made things worse because then it's kind of ignorance is bliss, mm -hmm. right? Like if you're working your career and you think like, oh, I need to be here for 30 years and like, that's what you're kind of prepared for. But then when you start realizing, oh, I can get out of here in like seven or eight or whatever it is, like. Now, all of a sudden, you're like kind of watching the clock and, you know, you're a little more itchy about getting there. Did you find that to be true? Did you find that it, it almost like opening up that box made things almost worse because now you are kind of watching the clock instead of being like, I don't know when I'm going to retire. Why worry about it? It's 30 years from now. Yeah, it's a really good point. And I love that you put it as ignorance is bliss, right? Because it kind of is, right? And as you're saying that, I'm thinking like this is kind of true in mindfulness as well. And I think what it really comes down to is awareness, right? When you don't have awareness, you're just, you know, you, you're ignorant of the situation. You're just kind of going through the motions. But 
once you have awareness, now it's like, oh, wait, there's actually some things, some, some stories I'm telling myself that are not so useful. I did have that experience. Interestingly, I was already doing the if only mindset before with regards to entrepreneurship, right? So my idea, you know, I said I had a startup before I went to Google and, you know, that was just a project that was basically like helping people find out what's going on in the college town, making plans more easily with their friends, stuff like that. But that was my goal. That was my dream was to be an entrepreneur. And it was very much, if only I can be an entrepreneur, then I'll be happy. Then I get to Google, which is my dream job, right? I was only open to working at two companies, Apple and Google. Didn't really know about working at either, but those are the companies that I was admiring. And I was very into tech and all that when I was in college, obviously having a tech startup. So I said, okay, look, I'll consider it. <laughs> and I ended up getting a job at Google and moving to California. But I get in there and all I can think about after a few months is, get me out of here. I got to be an entrepreneur, right? That's my goal. And so I was already kind of caught up in this anyways. So once I realized like there was a financial path to making this happen more easily, then yeah, it just kind of like accelerated things there. And yeah, I've had, you know, my fair share of challenging moments due to these stories that I was telling myself, you know, like for instance, I nearly envisioned myself out of a job, came within 30 days of losing my job at Google because I was convinced that I needed to leave Google and be an entrepreneur to be happy and successful. I'm curious, why take the job at Google in the first place? I find that a lot of folks who have startups in or right out of college, they don't usually want to go down that corporate path. So what made you do that? What made you make that decision? That's a good question. I mean... I wasn't making any money. So that <laughs> That'll was, do it. Uh, yeah. that, you know, <laughs> the idea of actually making some money was pretty enticing. But, you know, I saw it as a path to moving to Silicon Valley, getting involved in the startup community, like the real startup community, right? I was in Gainesville, Florida, which, you know, is great. Had, you know, a little bit of a startup community. But I saw it as, okay, I'll go to Google. I'll learn some things, meet some people, get in, inver, involved in the community, and then I'll leave it after a couple of years and start my company. Here I am 13 years later, and I have done quite a bit of entrepreneurship, but I'm still working full time. And as I said, I've had these ups and downs where it's like, I've got to go do this. Yeah, that's a really good question, but I really saw it as a stepping stone. Earlier, you were talking about how you were already in that if-only mindset even before, and then maybe that even increased after learning about financial independence. So that's the problem. What's the cure for that? What's the solve for that? Yeah. So if our stories create a reality, we first need to bring awareness to those stories. And that's really what mindfulness allows you to do, right? So for me, I had all these stories going in my mind from... I need to leave Google to I'm not good enough or I'm not doing enough or whatever. We all have these stories that we kind of have practiced subconsciously for years and years and have gotten us the results that we want. And it wasn't until I started practicing mindfulness through meditation that I kind of allowed my mind to settle a little bit and started to pay attention with mindfulness or the way I think about it is it's a kind, curious awareness, right? towards myself and whatever's arising, right? Because these are just thoughts that we take them to be true, but they're really just thoughts, mental events. And so mindfulness allows us to 
start to become aware of, oh, there's that story again. There's that story that I need to leave Google or whatever it is. And what I've really come to notice in the last, I'd say like, this was a big realization for me last year. I mean, I've been meditating for like 10 years, but this realization came last year where it was like, I say, I want all these things. I say, if only I could be an entrepreneur, if only I could teach mindfulness and get paid for it, then I'll be happy. But if I'm willing to shift my attention just a little bit, I can start to pay attention to all the ways that this is already true, right? And so, for instance, I've been building businesses the whole time, right? So I am an entrepreneur. I might not be a full-time entrepreneur, but I am an entrepreneur. I also get paid to teach mindfulness. I've trained over 2,500 Googlers around the world in emotional intelligence, mindfulness, envisioning, all these things. I've developed my own courses, right? Like, so I'm able to do these things that I say that are out there. I'm already doing them. And so to summarize, Justin, it's really awareness and choosing to pay attention and bring a sense of appreciation and gratitude to the ways that these things are already true, whether they're big ways or small ways. And the power of our brain and envisioning as we start to pay attention more and more to those and start to practice those stories, we actually start to get more of what we actually say we want. And so I think a big thing that a lot of people struggle with in the FI community is the moving goalposts. And it's usually money related, whether that's an income goal or a net worth goal or a nest egg invested in the stock market goal. How do you think about these goals and the moving goalposts? Because I think oftentimes people will reach that goal. They won't celebrate it. They'll just keep on moving and moving and moving. Like I like progress. I think humans just like progress in general. So it's not a bad thing that we want to keep chasing the goalposts. But if we are going to keep setting these goalposts further and farther out, you've got to celebrate when you reach the one that you initially set. So how do you think about goalposts from a, I guess, neurological scientific standpoint? Because we haven't really talked about that before. Yeah. I mean, I think that it's a huge problem and I've had some success in proving my own mindset around it, but I get stuck in it too, right? Like I've realized these things, these if onlys and that I actually have what I want. And then two days later, I'll be like, oh my God, I got to get out of here. Like I got to be doing (laughs) this podcast and coaching stuff full time. Like I love it. It's very easy to just keep looking down the road. And with regards to the moving goalposts in terms of income and finance and net worth and all these things, I think it comes down to asking the question is what is enough? And it's really, really hard to answer that. It may be one, it's really hard to answer it. And it's even harder to embody it and believe it and act on it. One of the main reasons why I started my podcast was to explore that question. Because I know that I'm often in this scarcity mindset that is like, I always need more and it's never enough. And I think it's really tough. So I'm actually reading this book now called 10X is Easier Than 2X. And it's by... Benjamin Hardy, and in conjunction with Dan Sullivan, one of the top coaches for entrepreneurs, they've written a few books together. One is called The Gap and the Gain. And I was just listening to this chapter about the gap is basically where you are and what you've achieved in relation to your ideal state versus the gain is looking back from where you started. And I think what you're saying, Cody, is like many of us, most of the people in the FI space are always looking at the ideal and moving the goalposts. And that's just a recipe for misery because you'll never get there. 
But if you instead start to shift your attention to how far you've come, then you can enjoy that success. I had a guy on my podcast, his name's Narav Shah, and he really highlighted the fact that we need to celebrate our successes and we need to take them in because otherwise we're just going to be constantly chasing. And so for me, I like to take some time to look back and kind of document my wins and just think about, wow, like I've come this far. It's easy not to do that, but like with, with regards to like my podcasting, you know, I have to just cut up in the, in the cycle, as you guys know, of just producing and producing and continuing. But it's like, wow, like look at all these amazing people I've met. Look at how much I've learned. Look at how much, how many connections I've made and like now gotten all this clarity around what I want to do. And so I think it's really just like stopping and looking at what you're proud of, because otherwise you're just going to be on this hamster wheel forever. And kind of continue with that conversation of, you know, moving goalposts and paying more attention to the progress that you've made. I think that's like half the battle, right? Like you're looking at the progress that you're making, but that's assuming that you're making progress towards something that's really meaningful to you. I think the other part of the problem is sometimes, you know, we do make progress and we notice it, but then we get there and we realize it's not that we need to set the goal further or that we are trying to set the goal further. It's that that goal is not actually what really is impactful to us anyway. It's not truly what, you know, is going to fulfill us. Do you have any kind of tips, mindfulness kind of exercises around getting down to the core of what your goal should be in the first place? What's truly going to make you happy versus like these kind of generic goals that a lot of us just fall into where it's like, hey, if I hit $2 million, that's going to be what's going to make me happy. You nailed that one, Justin, because that's, I think, the even bigger problem. And that is the fact that people set the goal, they pursue the goal, they get there, and then they're like, now what? Oh, wait, that's not actually what I want. And I think the big problem and the thing that I'm focused on with my coaching program and just the kind of the direction my podcast is going in is helping people answer the question, what do you actually want, right? What do you actually want? It's funny. I, I was at a team event, team happy hour, like a couple of weeks ago. And I kept asking people like, what's your vision? What do you want? Right? Like you love online ads. This is it. And obviously nobody's loving online ads as their life's passion most of the time, but nobody had an answer. Right. And I think they're either don't know, or they're not sure about it, or they don't want to talk about it because it feels weird to talk about. But I think at the core, people really just need to sit down and ask themselves, what do you actually want? And I actually created an envisioning guide that helps people explore this by kind of taking off all the limitations, right? I think the challenge that people have, if they actually sit down, which most people don't, if they actually sit down and ask themselves this question, they do it in the context of all of the things they already have, right? All of the circumstances and constraints and locations and things like that, that they have. And what I invite people to do in this envisioning guide, which they can download at mindfulfire.org slash show, then I ask them to remove all the limitations, right? If anything was possible, what would your life look like five years into the future, right? Setting aside everything that's rational and reasonable, what would it look like? And I think another problem is that people think that like once they decide, that's it. It's forever. It's set in stone. I sometimes feel that way and it keeps me from doing things. 
But I think holding it lightly and kind of playing with it. I actually had Jess from the Pioneers. Have you guys met her? Yeah, we've had her on before. She's fantastic. She absolutely brought it to my podcast. And she said she does this exercise with her clients where she asks them to envision three different lives, right? One as if everything is continuing, one if you could do anything, and then one, you know, just like completely out there. If money was no object, what would it be? And I think that's kind of how we need to approach it, right? Just as an expression of play and curiosity. And so that's really what I put together in this guide, which people can download again at mindfulfire.org slash show if they want to check that out. So I love the sentiment of everything you're saying, but I think if you ask the average person, what does your ideal life look like in five years? They might say something, but they might not actually know that that's the thing. Like a lot of people dream about sitting on the beach, sipping pina coladas. A lot of people use that cliche or they'll think they want to do this, think they want to do that. But until you test it, until you're doing that for weeks or months on end, you have no idea. So I know something you talk about a lot, Adam, is like living your post-fi life now, like actually getting in those test reps so that you have an idea of what that ideal life looks like in five years. So how do people do that? How do people start at least living pieces of their post-fi life now? We'll be right back after this. Overwhelmed by all the hats you wear in life? Listen in as Eric Fisher talks with productivity experts as they share how they implement practical productivity strategies in their personal and professional lives exploring all aspects of productivity and its true end goal, living a meaningful life, which is something we focus a ton on on The Fi Show. For more than a decade, Eric Fisher has sat down with productivity experts, authors, and creatives as they share their insights on how to implement productivity strategies in both your professional and personal life. The goal? To help you gain perspective, practical knowledge, and productivity insights for living a whole life that goes beyond the to-do list. Check out the incredibly engaging conversations with Eric and his guests every week, wherever you listen to podcasts. Now back to the show. Great question. And yeah, you're absolutely right. Like, as I said, this isn't set in stone and it could just be a guess, right? You know, I think what people need to do is they need to start walking down the path, right? Just like they did with financial independence, right? Like you need to have an idea of where you're going. And then you need to start walking down that path and start trying things and noticing things. And I talk a lot about envisioning as, as a method to start living that post-fi life now. And you know, maybe now's a good time to share a little bit about the science behind it. So there are a few things going on in your brain that make this work and why envisioning works. It's not some like woo-woo, you know, manifestation, you know, raise your vibe kind of thing right? Which nothing wrong with that, but I like to keep it very practical, right? I teach this to engineers at Google, so (laughs) they're not really into that. So there are two things. The first is that everything you think, feel, and pay attention to changes the structure and function of your brain, right? So that's this idea of neuroplasticity, right? So everything you pay attention to is rewiring your brain. So when I say your stories create your reality, that's what's happening, right? When you tell yourself this story again and again and again, and you're paying attention to that story, that is what you get because that story wires into your brain. You're more likely to see that in your environment. You know, if you think about any skill you've ever learned, right? Like take playing the guitar, for instance. At first, everything's unnatural, right? Holding the guitar feels weird. The sounds make no sense. Certainly, you can't read music, right? As you practice more and more, those things become easier. And that's because of neuroplasticity. Those motor skills, cognitive skills, auditory skills are becoming wired into your brain. So that's the first thing. 
Everything you think, feel, and pay attention to changes the structure and function of your brain. Now, the second thing is related. It's that our brains are predictive by nature. And so a researcher named Regina Polly at UC Riverside published a paper called The Predicting Brain. And in it, she said that even before events happen, our brain makes a prediction of what's most likely to happen and sets in motion the thoughts, perceptions, emotions, and even physiological responses for what's expected. She goes on to say, in a sense, our brain learns from the past what to predict for the future and then lives the future we expect. And so the way I think about that is we're telling ourselves stories about how our life is going to be, and then we're acting out those stories. And so putting these two things together, everything we've paid attention to in the past, I think of it as like planting seeds in our mind, right? Every time we tell ourselves a story, it's like we're planting or watering that seed, and that's what grows. And then we predict more of that in the future. And so envisioning is all about, one, becoming aware of what those stories are using mindfulness. It helps us to become aware. And envisioning is really choosing a new story and then planting the seeds associated with that story so that you get more of what you want. To come back to your question, Cody, like how do people actually start living their post-fi life now? It's getting clear on what they actually want. And then practicing the stories and the thoughts and the mindsets and beliefs through like affirmations or journaling or visualization in their mind to kind of plant those seeds in their mind. And and that will make them more available and aware to opportunities to move towards that vision. And very importantly, talking about your vision is incredibly, incredibly important. Because two reasons. Number one, it makes it more clear for you because you have to put it in words that make sense to somebody else. And it also makes other people aware of your vision. So now their predicting brain will go to work. And when they come across opportunities that are aligned with your vision, they'll let you know, right? That's how I got this job after I envisioned myself out of a job at Google. I had been talking about my vision to other people. And so when an opportunity came up, they let me know. Right. And so, and then the other one is mini experiments, right? So starting to take little things and move towards it. So for instance, I'm like obsessed with surfing now, surfing shows, really. I don't know if you guys have seen the show, hundred foot wave. No, <laughs> it's amazing. It's these surfers surfing like 60, 80, hundred foot waves in Nazare, Portugal. And just like a, a filmed over 10 year period from like 2010 into COVID, absolutely wild show. And like, I'm like, I, I got to be out there. I got to be serving, not big waves. Like I'm talking about like three foot waves. <laughs> but this Wednesday I have a surf lesson, right? So I'm like, let me try that, right? Like it's such a low barrier, but I'm going to learn. Do I like this? Do I want to do more of it? And so I think that's kind of how I'm going to start walking down the path. So Adam, we've been obviously talking a lot about mindfulness. I mean, that's your expertise. And we've had a lot of guests on the show who will talk about how really it is the mindfulness that is more important than any of the math or statistics or modeling that you might go through. And finance is a very intimidating topic because of the math, but really at its core, like getting to retirement, the math is fairly simple. Like Everyone can argue around the stuff on the fringes, but at its core, it's fairly simple. And I know me and Cody believe that as well, that mindfulness is and the mindset is the most important part. Why do you think that's true? And and what are some of the ways in which 
you know, it shows that, hey, like mindset is actually more important than your financial understanding of your path to financial independence. I agree completely. Right. And I think for me, the most important part of this journey is self-awareness and mindfulness helps you to build self-awareness, right? Because if you don't have self-awareness, you don't have an answer to the question, what do I actually want? You're just kind of like going through the motions. And I think the evidence, the math is not the most important part is because so many people figure out the math. They get there. They reach financial independence. Most of the people I'm talking to about my coaching program are at or nearing financial independence. And they are smartly realizing, I don't know what's on the other side of this, right? That's why we see the one more year syndrome over and over again, right? People just keep doing what they're doing because they don't have anything that they're moving towards. And that requires some deep reflection and some deep self-awareness. And mindfulness is a tool to help you build that self-awareness by bringing a kind, curious attention and awareness to what's going on in your mind and your body and your life as at a more macro level. So I'm going to step into the negative for a second. I want you to correct me if I'm wrong because you definitely know more of the science. But when you were talking all about the neuroplasticity and how like, you know, I'm not a huge manifester or vision board guy, but I think just either saying that out loud, having it on a piece of paper, like it makes it more likely to be true because it's just something that your brain is associating with. Like, I want to become a millionaire. Like you're more likely if you're saying that out loud, you're manifesting it, you have it on your desktop, like homepage as a screensaver. I think that stuff does work. And I think it's because of this neuroplasticity thing. But I also think, and I just want to highlight this for listeners, this can also be a negative thing. Like if you're someone who is constantly saying like victim mindset phrases, like I can't do this, I'm bad at math, I'm not good at saving. I think that's really, really harmful. And I think I see a lot of people caught in these negative loops, like these negative mindset loops where they're saying these things out loud, they're believing these things about themselves. And unfortunately, like with the neuroplasticity thing, they're not able to get ahead because they're just trapped in this cyclical victim mindset. So correct me if I'm wrong, Adam, but I think that's something I see so, so much in the average person. I'm trying to, you know, turn over to the dark side of fire. (laughs) (laughs) The light side. Yeah. The light side. No correction necessary, man. Like, yes, that is exactly what I'm talking about. That is exactly what I experienced. And we're all doing it, right? Some of us are more aware of it and doing it less. But most of us, if not all of us, have these negative stories that we're telling ourselves. But some are more at the surface, right? Yeah, you hear people all the time saying, oh, I could never do that. Or I have the worst luck, right? This always happens to me. And guess what happens? Happens again. It always happens (laughs) to them, right? Because they're moving towards it, right? They're acting out that story. And, you know, when I envisioned myself out of a job, I was telling myself this story, both internally and to anyone who would listen, that I need to leave Google and be an entrepreneur to be successful. Around that time, I was like, I had envisioned myself into this dream job where I was teaching user experience to publishers. And I was also in a pursuing my entrepreneurship goal on the outside, trying to build a software as a service company. And I was telling myself that, okay, I'm going to leave Google. I'm going to build this business and I'm going to leave Google. Success equals leaving Google. I took it a step further, guys. I said to anyone who would listen, if I get promoted at Google again, I have failed. I can't make this stuff up. Like I didn't realize it at the time how ridiculous that sounds, but guess what I got? Promotion. Yeah, no, unfortunately <laughs> yeah. not. The opposite. 
nine months into my job, my boss calls me into his office. He sits me down and he says, hey, Adam, your job's been eliminated. We're killing the team and you have a few months to find a new job, right? Not the best news, I would say. But then you know, when I look back on that, I got exactly what I asked for, right? I, asked, I, I wanted to leave Google. Success equals leaving Google. They gave me what I asked for. Turns out that's not what I wanted. So I had to find a new job and I started having conversations. And despite many good interviews internally and externally, I got 30 days before the deadline and I had a total of zero job offers. And I started freaking out and I realized that whatever I was doing wasn't working and I would need to change my mindset if I was going to overcome this. And so I started to practice. I mentioned affirmations before. I practiced envisioning. I got clear on what do I actually want. I wanted a good job with good pay, working with people that I respect, doing things I'm interested in. And then I started practicing, all right, what mindsets would help me create that in my environment and in this job search? And so I started practicing an affirmations practice of saying I'd meditate. And then after I'd say out loud, the world is abundant with opportunity because that's what I wanted to see in my environment. And I would practice how, seeing, visualizing, how is that true in the past? How is that true in the present? And how is that true in the future? And I also said, I don't worry about doing things right or wrong. I just take action, which leads to learning, progress, and growth. Same thing, past, present, future. And amazing things started to happen. I started having those friends reaching out to me saying, hey, my team has headcount or you should look at this company. And I started taking action that I would never have taken otherwise. So a friend said, you should interview with this user testing company. And I said, all right, let me, I looked on LinkedIn. I saw that I was connected to the CEO by a former client of mine. And I just said, oh, maybe he can introduce me. You know, I would never have done that in the past. So he introduced me to the CEO. Next thing you know, I'm talking to the CEO. The CEO refers me to COO. And then they basically tell the hiring manager, hey, you should hire this guy. And I finished that 30 days with two job offers, one internal, one external. I took the internal one. But, you know, this isn't like magic, right? Like this is me planting seeds in my mind, giving my brain evidence of how this was true in the past. And then I start to see it in my environment. And because I'm ready and primed to see it, I start moving towards it. I start taking action to on the things that are showing up in my experience. And I ended up overcoming that situation. I think so often in life, you know, we'll have a bad situation and we look back on it or what we think is a bad situation. And we look back on it and it turns out to be one of the most like pivotal, best things ever happened to us. We mm -hmm. wouldn't trade it for anything in the world. And then also like on this journey towards financial independence, I think a lot of people on this journey who do it successfully have this natural like resourcefulness, whether it be from a mindset standpoint or a material standpoint, being able to take something that is could be perceived as negative and turn it into an advantage. And I'm just curious, like what your thoughts are around that, around like resiliency and around how to not get bogged down when something doesn't necessarily go your way and trying to think through, how can I actually take this situation and make it an opportunity? Yeah. Another great question. I mean, that was the situation for me. I mean, this was literally rock bottom for me. So I was doing the side hustle and I had, you know, pre-sold a couple of things in the SaaS I was looking to build. That crashed and burned. I realized, wait, actually, this already exists. So both of these things kept crashing down at the same time. But looking back on that, that was the best thing that ever happened to me, right? All of this stuff, this conversation we're having now, this mindfulness, the power of mindfulness, the power of envisioning, 
all of this came into full focus because while I envisioned myself out of that job and into this rock bottom situation, I also realized that it got me out of that situation as well. And so this whole new chapter of my life with the podcast and everything was a result of this situation. So 100% agree that these situations can turn in. So how do you actually do that? I actually created a course with my old boss at Google called Building Resilience Through Mindfulness. And essentially what we teach is that emotions are just information, right? We can often become controlled and they're like pulling us on a leash, right? But we can start to bring mindfulness and awareness to the emotions and they happen in our body, right? So we can feel them in our body and we can start to what I call develop an emotional vocabulary, right? So anger feels like this, sadness feels like this, anxiety feels like that, right? And as you start to do that, you start to be able to become aware of them when they arise and you can use that as information on how to think and act and how to proceed rather than being totally swept up in it. And success and failure also are emotional experiences, right? They have a set of emotions associated with them. And if we can use mindfulness, we can create a little bit of space and objectivity towards them where we can just observe them and just watch them arise, stay for a moment and pass away and take the information without getting fully swept up in them. So that's what we call emotional resilience. The next thing is cognitive resilience, right? Which is all about what we've been talking about. What is the story that you're telling yourself about this, about this success, about this failure, about this job loss, right? Many of us have a tendency to run through the story again and again and again and again of something bad that happens. I like to joke that my brother, if someone slights him or someone says something to him that's rude or whatever, he'll just run that story and tell everyone who will listen, right? But at some point, that's not very useful, right? So when I find myself caught up in a story, oh, I can't believe this happened or oh, I'm never going to find a job. And I notice, and the more you practice mindfulness, the more you're going to notice, then you can ask, is this useful? Is this useful? And if it's not useful, you can choose to let it go. It probably is going to come up in another five minutes but you can do it again. Is this useful? And just let it go. And that has been an absolute game changer for me. And then of course, you can decide to choose a new story and start to move towards that. And the affirmations was like critical in helping me get out of this situation. But I think that question, is this useful, is essential. Yeah, that's huge. It's just kind of putting a pause between the action and your response. It's that little bit of time to think about, okay, what is the actual implication of this? Is it useful or is it not? One thing I want to make sure we touch on before we run out of time here is obviously it's a fair bet that most people, if they haven't already listening to the show, want to achieve financial independence. And you talk about, Adam, the surprising reason that most people don't reach FI when they think they're going to. And you said it's not money. The hint is that it's not money. So could you tell us what that is and why that happens to people? Yeah, I think it's back to what we were talking about before. It's what do you actually want, right? I think that they don't reach it sooner because they don't realize what they're actually going towards. The idea of retiring early and being able to do whatever you want is great, but I think it's even more compelling when you have a clear vision of what that is going to mean to you, what you're going to do with that freedom, right? I feel like we're all chasing this freedom, but freedom for what, 
what are we actually <laughs> doing with it, right? And so we talked a lot about that today. So I think that getting clear on what you want is essential. And then starting to test that and really build that confidence that you're actually on the right path is just going to align everything for you. And you're just going to start moving forward more quickly, right? From a purely dollars perspective, you're not going to waste as much money on things to like make you feel better because you're just bored, right? You're just going to buy these things because you're just bored or you're unhappy in your current situation because you're not going to do that because you're actually starting to live into that and you're going to have that confidence. Adam, we've been talking a lot about different exercises that people can go through and different ways that they can think about getting towards reaching their goals in FI and, and mindsets and practices that people should do. But you know, it's always curious to see what are the practitioners actually practicing? So how are you putting these things into motion and how are you incorporating these things in your own life? Yeah, it's a great question. And for me, the podcast has been the avenue to pursue what I want to do in my post-fi life after I leave Google, right? And interestingly, when I started the podcast, I thought I wanted to be a mindfulness teacher, right? And so the first few guests on my podcast are mindfulness teachers. And I was like, what's it like? You know, what do you actually do? Do you make any money? Turns out not much. So the podcast has really been an exploration for me of what does that look like for me? And so obviously I try to live what I'm preaching. I try to practice what I preach. I have, you know, a daily meditation practice. I'd say daily-ish meditation practice. I do have two young kids. So that allows me to have that time to settle my mind and to look inside, right? There's this metaphor that I like to use that comes from the program I teach at Google. It's that our minds are like a snow globe that's constantly being shaken up and agitated. Mindfulness is like setting the snow globe down on the table, allowing the snow to settle so you can see more clearly what's inside. So I try to practice that regularly. Journaling is another huge one that I try to practice regularly because just getting what's in your head out of your head onto paper, one, just feels great and brings such a level of clarity because now it's really hard to work with things in your head. It's kind of like grasping at clouds. But if you get it out of your head onto paper, you can work with it a little bit more clearly. So I try to bring these things together. And then you guys know this, like the podcast is amazing way to explore these concepts because you get to talk to awesome people. I like to say it's a life hack. And you guys know, 95% of the people you invite on a podcast are going to say yes. Have you guys experienced that? Yeah. I mean, I think you definitely get access to people who wouldn't probably just like jump on a Zoom call with you for no good reason. <laughs> yes, exactly. That's what I mean. So between that and just like this, exploring these concepts for myself and actually talking about them with people, it becomes more clear in my mind. And it has allowed me to start to build this business around these things that I love and to kind of build the foundation that I want to move towards after, right? I don't want to sit on the beach and drink pina coladas all day in my post-fi life. I want to build a business and be an entrepreneur, but I want to do it in a way that I don't have to worry about putting food on the table for my family, right? And so that's my vision for FI. And I've started to practice these things little by little through the podcast and also at work. I have my on-the-job side hustle and my off-the-job side hustle. And, you know, developing these programs and teaching envisioning workshops for teams within Google and with clients, all of these things are a way for me to start to practice these things that I want to do after and really to figure out, do I actually want that or not? 
It's like they're all my mini experiments. Love that. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on, Adam. I'm glad our mutual friend, Amy Minkley, back on episode 216 is when we had her on. If you want to check that one out, I'm glad she introduced us. She said you'd be an awesome guest and you were. And for those who enjoy hearing you talk, I know you have your own podcast. You have a cheat sheet that our listeners can download. Where can they get all that stuff and where do you want to direct people? Yeah, definitely. Thank you so much for having me, guys. It's an absolute pleasure. I'm so glad Amy introduced us. And yeah, if people want to start living their post-fi life now, start planting those seeds in their mind, the first thing I'd say is ask yourself, what do you actually want? And as I said, I created a free envisioning guide for the audience. They can download that at mindfulfire.org slash show. That's mindfulfire.org slash F-I-S-H-O-W. And you can find the Mindful Fire podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. So I would love for you to swing by. And yeah, if you want to reach me, you can find me on LinkedIn. I'm always chatting with people on there. So feel free to reach out with any questions or if I can support you in any way. Adam, I also want to thank you for giving us some time. It's a very important topic. And a lot of times I know we can get into the weeds and get solely focused on the numbers, but it's good to kind of pull ourselves out of that and make sure that we're heading in the right direction in the first place and our minds in the right place. Yeah, it's a pleasure to be here with you guys. Thanks again. Thank you again for taking the time to listen to another episode of The Fi Show. If you enjoyed this episode and want to support us, the best way to do that is to leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts, share this with a friend, and also don't forget, you can find 200 plus episodes and all the information you'd ever want to have about these episodes over at thefyshow.com. Also, don't forget to hit that subscribe button because that way every Wednesday you can have our latest episode delivered straight to your phone. Until next time. Hey, real quick before you go, I just want to remind you that I have made my personal like budget and net worth tracking spreadsheet available, the very same one that I use to track my net worth from $38,000 to over $1.2 million available for free on our website at thefyshow.com slash spreadsheet. So you can go download that today. That's thefyshow.com slash spreadsheet.